reflecting on the Pachubanatama here and now and and I found this a you know a breakthrough in my own practice just to even though I could understand that uh, conceptually uh, but the perceptions of time are so we give so much validity to them that uh, we operate in, with the assumption of I am this person sitting here at five o'clock in the morning and the the whole the reality of our life is based on on creating a self time conditions identifying with the feelings of the body with the state of mind you're in the whole conditioning process is is about that with identity with definition So when, when asked to just be an observer, a witness, uh, we, we have to, we wonder who that is. Well, how do we do it? What do I do to be a witness? And immediately the, the sense of I have to become a witness or try to be a witness at this time. So the instead of trying to find out who it is that's witnessing or how do I do it, if there's any doubt, any, any struggle, any uncertainty, any question that you're having at this time, observe that. Be the witness to even the, the doubting state. How do I do it? Am I doing it right? What's the point of it? Or any, any kind of questions that bring up doubt uncertainty because actually the state of awareness uh, makes us emotionally feel very uncertain we aren't used to to uh, this reality and on a personal level we're, we're very much 
conditioned to, to seek certainty, verification, certification, certitude. You can see in just uh, human behavior how how life is spent on trying to to find certainty. Am I doing the the right thing with my life? Am I practicing rightly? How am I doing? And I'm, am I getting anywhere in my practice? Am I wasting my time? And of course, in the worldly life, people have ver- various views and opinions about this. And we have our own views and opinions. But the, the witnessing, the knowing, isn't, uh, isn't verifying or affirming anything at all, any condition whatsoever. So emotionally, we, we tend to feel very uncertain. <coughs> So this uncertainty can be witnessed. I, you know, if I'm feeling uh, doubtful, uncertain about what I'm doing, there's an awareness of that. I know that I, what, what do I do next? Am I doing it properly or on and on like this? Behind this questioning thinking uncertain personality is is the knower or the witness the ability to know in a very direct way like being conscious a conscious entity in the universe is the experience of knowing isn't it we're we're incarcerated in this uh, physical form for a lifetime, and and we experience all the things that happen through the uh, consciousness, through the senses, through sensitivity, and so the witness then is putting our, uh, letting go of all the the desires and and attitudes and positions, identities of worldly conditioning to trust in a simple imminence of attention in the present. The personality <coughs> of what in Pali Sakya Ditti, the sense of a self as identity with the the body and the mental states, and this uh, this this um, this is a habit of the mind. This is not the way it is. It's a, it's a created, conditioned habit a sense of myself as a person as a in whatever quality or 
quantity or whatever uh, that presents itself that I cling to and identify with, that this is something that I can observe. It's an, it's an object in consciousness. So just the sense of I am Ajahn Sumato, this on a conventional level is uh, all right, there's nothing wrong with it. But as an identity that I operate from under all situations, it tends to create endless problems. Because this is a, this is a, an assumption too. It's, I assume that I'm this Ajahn Sumedho all the time. But when I really witness the arising and cessation of Ajahn Sumedho, I see it, the, the, this perception of Ajahn, I am Ajahn Sumedho arises and ceases according to various situations. It's not an obsession of my mind, I don't go around thinking I'm Ajahn Sumedho as a continuous uh, experience of life. And so the witness then is, is behind these perceptions of I am. So this is where I encourage you to, to start out from this witnessing position because so many of us have started out our meditative experiences with the assumption I'm this person who needs to practice in order to get some imagined state to progress according to the way we interpret scripture and, and attain and achieve by getting rid of kilesas, defilements, fetters, obstructions, and becoming somehow purified through our getting rid of these unwanted conditions. So the attitude of I'm practicing now in order to get a good result in the future, this is also a creation of thought, isn't it? It's a thought pattern that we may never question. We may operate from that as a, you know, we could spend years, a whole, whole life in monastic form and still never question this, this basic delusion. So what I'm encouraging you to do during this retreat is, you know, question that basic delusion of I am this person. And by questioning, it isn't by trying to figure out who you are. If you're not this person, then who are you? It's not a matter of finding, you know, who you are, because you'll never find yourself as an object. You'll find everything you find is, is what they call anatta, not self, when you really put it to uh, investigation. So anatta or not self is 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 a reflection. It's not a it's not a doctrinal position that we impose on intellectually onto our experiences. But 
it's a it's a guide it's a guide it's a suggestion a way of looking and what we ignorantly hold to be ourselves now i've i've found it that self is a creation i have to think or operate from this blind state of avicca or ignorance i have to uh, and never question it so i all my experience of life is experienced through the assumption i am this person as an ongoing experience and of course this is uh this of course is one of, is the cause of the suffering of life because as a personality you know we're conditioned in various ways to see ourselves or evaluate ourselves compare ourselves identify ourselves and that's a conditioning process we acquire after we're born if i assume i am uh, this kind of person with these kind of problems these kind of defilements and and that i practice in order to kind of get rid of them maybe then i could you know i could make myself maybe become a little more uh careful and uh, uh, as a person you know in a society so i don't create heavy karmic memories to to uh, become obsessed with i can re- make myself into a better person by being moral keeping moral precepts and being kind and generous and so forth so this is not to be scoffed at or despised i'm not i'm not uh, against that but as an end in itself it it leaves one still unfulfilled because uh the basic delusion is, is still intact so the buddha was uh, pointing to a completely different way of looking not from cultural conditioning or from thought or perception but through awareness So in terms of Buddhist uh, terminology then uh, Buddha means awake aware attentive knowing the dhamma the way it is so these these are words also and these are conventions just like anything else but these these conventions that we're using they in the poly tradition uh, are not to be grasped as identities or doctrines but are suggestions changing a way of looking at that at the here and now at the experience of consciousness at the emotional 
realities that we're experiencing at this time. So instead of me, Ajahn Sumedho, looking at my problems, I change the context from me as a person trying to figure out my problems and solve solve them into this other paradigm of the Buddha seeing the Dhamma. So this is this is why I, I you know, we we say Bhutang Sarnangachami, Dhammang Sarnangachami, Sankang Sarnangachami, taking refuge. It's not, not my personality trying to convince myself I have an inner Buddha or I'm, I'm Buddha. That would be uh, a, a real delusion. My personality can never become a Buddha. I can kind of maybe make myself act like a Buddha, what I think a Buddha should act like, <laughs> try to fool myself. But that would be even more harmful. So it's not trying to to uh, believe that there's an inner Buddha or that I am Buddha or that my true nature is Buddha, but using the word Buddha as a reminder. What does it really mean then? Awake, aware. The knowing in the present, the witness, the observer, taking refuge in the observer, in the knowing. So that isn't like me trying to take refuge, it's, it's recognizing this simple ability that we all have of being mindful in the present. Then the Buddha knows Dhamma, so Dhamma is the way it is. And this is summed up in the reflections of all conditions are impermanent, all Dhamma is not self. But it's not grasping these as kind of doctrinal positions to take, uh, but to investigate this. All conditions are impermanent. So in, say, in the uh, Satipatthana, four foundations of mindfulness, this is, these are skillful means, way of bringing into consciousness and really noticing the way it is in a direct way, not through a perception of impermanence, but noting the reality of impermanence, that thoughts, emotions, physical sensations, sensory experiences, You know they have no, no nothing that nothing permanent in the in their when they arise they're present, but try to keep them and hold on to them and make them sustain them, make them permanent. Can you find any permanent anything really that that you can sustain ongoing in any thought or any emotion? 
to the body itself. So when we're contemplating the body in the present, isn't it just, it's changing all the time. It's just a bundle of energy is all it is. You just feel it, you just notice the, the kind of various movements, vibrations, energies that, that, are, that this body is producing at this time. So that's why the first foundation of mindfulness is the Gayanupasana uh, Satipatthana, or uh, mindfulness of the body. So this is a very, very important uh, reflection to bring attention, attention to the experience of your own body at this time. So the knowing, isn't it? The knowing, being aware, embraces the body. You're not, you know, if you really uh, recognize, realize the the value of awareness, the body is in the awareness. You can observe just this sense of its tensions, whether it's cold or hot, pleasure, pain, energetic experiences, movement, Because the body has its own uh, kind of intelligence, you know, we don't have to to make our bodies uh, when we eat food. We don't have to direct, uh, you know, the our attention to digestion. All we have to do is put the food in the mouth, chew it, and swallow it, and the body will take care of the rest. It knows what to do. When it gets tired and and uh, sick and these experiences, is we tend to identify. I'm t- I'm so tired. I feel sick. I'm not well today. And and the whole uh, assumption that I am this these feelings, this fatigue, and is uh, my problem. But from the position of the buto of the knowing, it's. You're not, you're not looking at it in terms of, of it's my problem, but it is what it is, feeling weak, sick, tired, it's like this. Healthy, energetic, is like this. So this way of reflecting like this is, is uh, the w- I find valuable because it, it isn't saying... It isn't describing or defining, it's just noticing. Now in... uh, 
the the body is uh, you know obviously something that was born and will die in the future so that's uh, that's a kind of truth that we all recognize it's a condition sankara it's uh, you know it's not and it doesn't have any permanent uh, parts to it but it is uh, you know it's a sense condition it's a sensitive uh, form in the universe so recognize that, that at this time you know we're experiencing sensitivity being conscious entities in sensitive forms now this is pointing to this is the, how I reflect on the way it is this is the body this body here is a sensitive form I'm aware I can be aware of it you know as it as its uh, sensitivity changes according to conditions identifying with it then out of ignorance means that I'm limited all the time I'm limiting myself to to the uh, conditions that I'm attached to so we bind ourselves always to to changing conditions to things that are beyond our control that are in themselves uh, unsatisfactory they cannot give you true contentment or satisfaction in life they can best that we can get from our bodies is the kind of momentary gratification <coughs> sensual gratification is, has it you know it's pleasure but it it also is unsustainable so what is it that's sustainable at this very moment you know what is it that that isn't changing that we can take refuge in that we can rest in at this very moment here and now so this is like inquiring into the reality of this moment so what I found in in my own investigations in this manner is uh, of this ringing sound of silence background it has continuity it has it's like a stream a flow a flowing stream it's continuous and uh, sometimes I notice it sometimes I don't I forget all about it and get caught up in the conditions of uh, my feelings or thoughts physical experiences 
<clears throat> but every time I remember, it's always here and now. So this awareness then is bringing into consciousness or allowing consciousness to, to not be uh, clouded with our habitual perceptions of ourselves and the world that we hold as real. Now there's calling it sound of silence is, is uh, you know, the way even the word sound is, is uh, gives us the, the perception of it some, something in the ear. We always connect sound with hearing, with, the, with our ears, the organ of the ear. So it's it's not accurate either. Sound of silence, is not <laughs> but it is. It's merely a skillful means to kind of because it it does seem like a sound. But if you notice the the nature of sound, is it comes and goes. So you have, uh, you know, my voice. You know, I can't. You know, I can. I can hum maybe for for a few seconds as a con continuous sound, but beyond that, I can't I can't sustain it. Or the sound of music, or bells, or noises, or whatever. <coughs> These are the nature of sound is to arise and cease. So it's not trying to prove that this is a sound or anything, it's merely a convenient reference to this reality that we can easily not notice. And it's surprising how many uh, people who've been meditating for years don't even notice it. Because it's generally not given any kind of name in, in our tradition, it's not it's not uh, kind of listed or on the lists of, of, uh, that we have in, in the Pali Canon. So, you know, I've known people that do the noting practice the, the, where they say uh, listening, listening, uh, and they, they try to, to notice through, through, through uh, noting what's present, but in this way it, it's still not investigated, it's one tends to just put a perception of sound onto it. It's a sound, so therefore it's impermanent. But from my own investigations, you know, not trying to prove that it's permanent, but it, 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 it will do in terms of experience here and now. It has it's sustainable more than anything else that's happening at this moment. So in terms of noticing it, it uh, I encourage you to, you know, not to look for it, not to try, you know, if you don't notice it, 
uh, and then you think I've got to find the sound of silence and practice with that like Ajahn Sumedho describes then you're, you're also caught in, in trying to find something you, you perceived as something already like when we grasp, grasp the idea of it being a sound then we, we're looking for a sound of a kind of mystical sound or a subtle sound or a cosmic sound and these are perceptions isn't it of, that, that we create with language and then we try to find them So in teaching this practice over the years, uh, see how many people struggle to, because they, they, they understand the words, and then they're, they're trying to find something according to some preconception, some, something that they've already imagined, and, and trying to find what they're, you know, some, something that they've imagined, that they, that they feel they haven't, uh, recognized yet or they haven't found it yet so the <coughs> attitude then is more of I say like relaxed attention open like open receptivity now these words are advisory words as suggestions of instead of trying to concentrate your mind and, and trying to look for something, you know, trying to figure out what it is, is this it, that it, or whatever, uh, or, you know, put, uh, put that effort of, of concentration on into the present moment, it's the reverse, it's like opening, relaxing, receiving, Letting things just be what they are in the present, and you know, not trying to to find anything. Let it's not something you can find through preconceiving it, but just by trusting in in your own ability to be open, receptive in the present moment. So I found these words helpful. You know, we used to teach meditation a lot on concentration. You know, trying to refine putting attention on the breath and, and holding the attention to the breath or to an object and concentrating on an object. And so that can become habitual also. We, 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 t we operate from the idea we've got to get samadhi or get something we don't have yet. Uh, in order to become enlightened in the future. So we have the, do you have these different levels of samadhi and have you, you know, have you, have you, uh, re you know, have the jhanas yet and the, the whole jargon of way we pick up Dhamma teachings tends to to increase this sense of I'm somebody who has to get something I don't have where this attitude isn't trying to get anything it's not not uh, saying you don't have it it's just uh, that through all your efforts to try to get something for yourself you're missing you're, 
you're not noticing the way it is. So this uh, attitude of relaxed attention, openness, it's like just standing, sitting here and just receiving this moment, you know, not trying to get anything, but just being at ease with yourself. Relax, don't try to find anything or get anything or become anything. I used to notice uh, when I lived in with Lung Po Cha uh, the first few years how I was very dedicated towards uh, strict practice. So I I do a lot of samadhi practices and and uh, sometimes I'd get good samadhi and sometimes I wouldn't and and I'd also feel very uh, kind of critical or upset if people were too, if, you know, if there was any noise or distraction and uh, get, you know, I feel I have to get away from Wat Bapong, too many monks there, too much work to do, I've got to go off to some cave in the mountains and really get my samadhi together. <clears throat> because the idea of getting samadhi was uh, seemed to, to be a, a kind of priority. So then I noticed that I'd get myself into a real tense uh, Situation. It's very kind of uh, just very, you know, so intense, so dedicated to practice, so obsessed with the idea of, of attaining samadhi that that uh, after a while it'd just be unbearable. I'd be in a just a, a really kind of depressed, negative state if I couldn't get what I was what I was trying to get. Sometimes I could get it. Sometimes I couldn't. And when you get what you call samadhi, some kind of samadhi you get through concentrating the mind, then you you grasp it. You say, oh, I want this all the time. How do I hold on to this so I have it all the time? And then you feel everything that gets in your way is an obstruction. You you kind of resent uh, things around you, the geckos in the kuti. You're just about getting first jaw and then they go, tukka, tukka. <laughs> then you, I can't practice here, there's a gecko in my cootie. Every time I'm just about to get, get it, it ruins it. You can't kill geckos either. And so the, I noticed sometimes I'd, you know, through the, reading Zen books and things like that, they'd have 
this going nowhere, doing nothing, don't have to become anything, don't have to do anything. And I start just reflecting on this, you know, I don't have to get anything or become anything or be anybody. And then I notice I start relaxing. I have this sense of, you know, there's this intention of trying to get, trying to get something all the time is a, you know, is a very, uh, it creates tension in the body. You have to contract and force and concentrate. And this, of course, is for someone like myself, character like, like I have, is, is, you know, the whole uh, life as a layperson was based on this, of trying to get things or get rid of things. You know, the whole educational process I went through before becoming a monk was all about attaining and achieving through concentrating the mind. <coughs> so I, you know, this was this was something that was habitual. You know, anything that would 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 increase would even suggest that. I could easily, you know, be affected by that. You should practice more, you should practice hard and you should do this and do that, and I, the whole uh, system was was conditioned for that. You know, I needed to get into this this uh, tension mode because it's all about shoulds and trying to get something and get rid of things, trying to get rid of anger, lust, and things like this, trying to get rid of fear. And so the, 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 you know, the monastic life was one of, you know, uh, on that level was a constant struggle because even though it, it does, you know, it's, it, it is a, a vehicle for, conventional vehicle for meditation, how we you know, we still have the, the habits. We, we, you know, we're still affected by all our habits that we acquired long before we were uh, summoners. So just noticing, the, just uh, reflecting. I remember sitting there in the sala at Wat Bapong and suddenly feeling this great relief, not, not having to strive to get, to become, to get rid of, not being anybody not having to prove myself, not having to even try anymore, but just that suddenly the, I could feel just by thinking those kind of thoughts, the, the tension started falling away. So in... Uh, this attitude of relaxed attention like an oxymoron isn't it relaxed attention we think of attention as as you know kind of forced like attention like in the military the master sergeant is attention you know, you, you contract immediately into this state, standing stiff, <coughs> looking good. 
But relaxed attention is, isn't a, a, uh, an imperative, it's not a command, it's, it's a suggestion. Attentiveness in, in a kind of open, relaxed way. And, and then like listening, the ability to listen. Isn't like listening for anything in particular. I'm not listening, you know, focused on any particular sounds going on or, but just just opening the the ability to listen, to receive whatever is uh, happening now. But if I conceive sound of silence as some kind of refined, subtle sound, uh, cosmic sound that only arahants can hear and, and uh, you know, if I build it up into a kind of hyperbolic uh, refined state, then, I, then I've already conceived it as being something I don't have yet. You know, so then if I sit here, where is it? You know, I don't hear it. Sat here for three days now. All I hear is, all I know is this kind of buzzing sound. <laughs> Maybe expecting, you know, like the angelic chorus or something to come in. Something ethereal and sublime. <clears throat> but that's a perception, isn't it? You're looking for something that you've already conceived of. You know, something imagined. Or, uh, you know, so that that is is, uh, you'll, you know, you won't find it that way. You won't notice it because you'll overlook it because what it is is quite ordinary. <coughs> Nothing special. So don't don't think of it as some kind of refined attainment that after years of practice you might, you know, you might be lucky enough to, to to have. Then you you're creating it into, you know, you're you're creating something, and then you you'll find you'll always be looking for what you're creating, what you imagine. So uh, just see through that that whole process of of uh, believing your own thoughts, your own imagination, the the, the uh, way you you think, and so in trusting in in awareness, it's not it's not a thinking process. It includes thinking, but it's not thinking. So thinking arises and ceases. You know, when you really examine what thought is, it's, you know, you try to ke- hold on to a thought. You know, thinking is, goes from one thought to the next. So you have like the wandering mind, conceptual proliferation, papancha. In Pali they call it papancha. This is wandering um, kind of mental states where one thought goes on to the next. Because that's the nature of thought. Thought is like that. 
you know, so we have grammar and we have subject, object, adjectives, pronouns, nouns, verbs, adverbs, on all like this. There's a whole kind of conditioned uh, process that takes place. But awareness then isn't a isn't a, a thinking function. Because the thinking you can't sustain, you know, it just goes on and like one thing goes on to the next. So noticing this that the thinking you can be aware of yourself thinking. So when I, you know, can be, make it fully conscious that I'm thinking about this, that I'm trying to, you know, what I find this sound of silence and and what is it? And I can't find it. And maybe I can't do it. Or maybe it's not real. Maybe Ajahn Sumedho's daft. Who knows what? Can you prove it in the Pali Canon? Is it real Theravada? Or is it some kind of Mahayana heresy? <laughs> so, I, you know, it is one, it's a natural, natural reality it's not it's not something i'm creating something that is not it has no name you know usually in most most of our lives we 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 have no name for it i remember uh, you know as a before long before i ordained noticing this but it wasn't, there was no way to explain it. Because we didn't have words for it. They buzz in the ear or there's a kind of peacefulness. I remember one time just where the, the whole kind of sense of self dropped away for a while and I was in this state of that kind of bliss of just this ringing silence. And I had no knowledge of what it was, but it certainly, you know, if, uh, you know, the sense of me, I was about 19 years old then, and, and this you know, self-consciousness and the self-obsessiveness, and that was just rabid, you know, just totally caught into myself as a person. And, uh, and then it, the, all that kind of, for some reason or other, I wasn't on drugs either, it just dropped away, and there's this. This is real. This is really. You know, there's all that self-concern, self-obsession is not present. This is how I'd like to be all the time. But since um, I tended to identify it with the conditions, I was in the countryside, and things were. You know, I tend to think that, that uh, you know, I was in the military at the time, so 
it's easy to blame the Navy and say, oh, I can't possibly, you know, we've got too many other things, too many distractions. And not knowing what it was, having no name for it. But the memory of it, I've, I held the memory uh, you know, from ever since that day. <laughs> so then, in uh, becoming a monk, uh, ten years later, you know, I still didn't have a name for it. But I noticed that uh, in uh, in experience, when when I when I let go of all this self-concern, self-obsession, me trying to get something, me trying to get rid of something, when I when all that kind of gave up trying to do all that and just be kind of relaxed and open, uh, I I noticed this vibration. And if I stayed with this vibration, it was quite blissful, actually. It's like, you know, you with the because the thinking process stops. As you as you notice the sound of silences, the thinking ceases. But then, uh, it's you know, one falls back into the the patterns of habit, and that if you don't know what it is, or or that you just think it's uh, dependent on the conditions, like being all alone in a in a kuti, and uh, you know, special conditions would make this possible. So it's easy to uh, to to think that you can only recognize this or realize this through controlling everything, through, con- through trying to repeat the conditions that you remember when you, had, when you had this knowledge. So in, in the early years of monastic life, I kept trying to repeat the conditions. And, um, you know, trying to, to control the, the the conditions around me, because I, I can only know this through through these special kind of situations. <coughs> but then I found the real power of the sound of silence came to me right when we lived in in London, of all places, big city. Who would have ever thought that you'd realize solitude, real stillness, when you're living in London. Impossible. You know, London, <laughs> you know, the perception of you've got to go up to the cave or the mountaintop. But this really happened in the, in the first, first year in London. I, began, I remembered this and I started noticing it was with me all the time. And uh, and because London is, uh, he lived in uh, Hampstead, which is a rather nice part of London, but still it's noisy and busy and all kinds of 
you know, distractions. So this, uh, and remembering this and recognizing it was, uh, you know, I, saw, I had the insight that this, if I, you know, if I use this, develop this, because I couldn't, it was too hard to control the conditions there when you're living in the Hampstead Vihara trying to make the whole world shut up so you can get your samadhi. It just was, you know, an impossibility. <coughs> so um, instead of making that request or demand on the world, I, I developed this awareness around this uh, sound of silence. And uh, found it uh, amazing because even even with all the chaos and confusion, the first two years in, in, in living in London was, was was certainly not peaceful on the on the uh, conventional side of it, the worldly side of it. It was just kind of an ongoing rat race. <coughs> but the stillness increased. So, uh, you know, I recognize this is an inner stillness, a, a still point that could receive the whole chaos and confusion of the world around me, but not make it into a problem, because the stillness is not, is not uh, obliterated by the confusion or chaos of the world. Once you recognize it, then it's uh, you know it's it's if you don't if you don't recognize it or don't value it then of course one is you know feeling threatened or disgruntled or annoyed by people's demands or or worldly conditions or the problems of uh, monks nuns and lay people and so forth. But this stillness then is is sustainable even through all the chaos and confusion of the of the uh, world around. Now in uh, practice, then what I usually do is, uh, because this uh, I've developed this practice for so long, then it's very simple and very natural. It's very, you know, it is natural. It's not uh, a kind of artifice that I create to project onto the present moment. It's not controlling. It's not a trying to tell the world to shut up so I can be peaceful. It's, it's not losing control, letting go of all these, these tendencies, impulses to try to control everything.
Now, the point is, like the relationship of, of this to the traditional Dhamma that we have, Four Noble Truths and the Dhamma of the Pali Canon. So, <coughs> because uh, this, these, uh, this gives us a, an incredible ability to investigate Dhamma. So it's not in just trying to stop the thought process and stay in a, in a still stillness as a, uh, you know, it's not holding the view that I've just got to hold on to this sound of silence and, uh, and just stop thinking. Because then one goes into kind of a, an empty state. But one's still caught with the illusion of the delusion of I'm, you know, I kind of uh, obsessed about not thinking and about this uh, kind of state of where no thoughts arise and trying to hold on to it. Or, and, it and then things will impinge, you know, restlessness and all kinds of things will come up and, and it, gets, it can get pretty dreary because it's a kind of blank emptiness. But in um, investigation of Dhamma, then it gives us, it gives us perspective that we don't have when we don't know this. Like perspective, isn't it, is where we can see things in, and how they relate. We're not just going to one thing and, and then on to another, losing perspective. So if I'm just, you know, caught in concentrating my mind on various things, then I go from this to that, and I lose perspective. Say in, in just visual experience, visual consciousness, you, you get perspective by opening to the, the space in the room. We want perspective on this temple. You know, the space in this temple, on this temple as a, as a, as a building, as a place to be, you, you withdraw your obsessions and your fascinations around the things in it to open to the space in it. It gives you perspective on, on how the different parts of the temple relate to each other and to the whole of it. And so like the sound of silence gives that kind of perspective. It has, it has no boundary. It's, it has, it's uh, unlimited, immeasurable. It's not something that like space in this room doesn't uh, obliterate the things in it. You know, if we start, if we open to the spaciousness, we we don't have. To, I don't have to tell you all to get out, and you know, and try to destroy the temple in order to you know really uh, see the space. The space includes everything. The space in this room includes you and the pillars and the walls and the roof shrine. So this is what we call, it has no boundary. Space is, you know, we put boundaries on space by building walls, but actually the walls are in the space, aren't they? 
when you contemplate space, it, it has no boundary in terms of the reality of now as we're experiencing it. So just putting this, this re relationship of space, form to space, perspective on condition to uncondition, this is the paradigm, isn't it? To reflect on. To recognize the, the, the unlimited, the spaciousness or the stillness has no boundary. So then what arises in it, or what's in that space, or in this stillness, can be seen in perspective. It can be seen as in terms of Dhamma, arising, ceasing. Sapay, Sankarani, Cha, all conditions are impermanent. So this is where the Satipatthana, Four Foundations of Mindfulness, really come, you know, is a really helpful tool. Because all it's saying is, you know, to begin to pay attention to, to the body, the Gayanupasna Satipatthana, not in terms of evaluating it on, on a conditioned level. You know, not to, you know, not to just be caught in and uh, you know, trying to analyze and figure it all out with your thinking mind. But to experience the reality of this body as it is now in this stillness. So I don't have to open my eyes and even look at my body, you know, I, can, I can't, like, like I said before, I can't see my own face at this moment. You have to look into a mirror in order to get some reflection of what my face looks like. But I can see your face better than I can see my own. So this is just a way of reflecting uh, that that's not the point in trying to, to, to be able to look at one's own face in the present, but to be the, uh, you know, to, to center oneself in this seeing experience knowing experience. So in the stillness then the, the sense of a self arises and ceases. You know, you can see, you begin to notice the, all the urgencies, the obsessions, uh, fear, uh, anger, resentment, jealousy, envy, lust, greed, arise and cease. The physical sensations of the body, you know, the sensory experiences, the sounds through the ear, the odors through the, through the nose, the tastes through the tongue, and, vision, and what we see through sight. The body itself is, a, is total sens totally sensitive, isn't it? it uh, heat, cold, pleasure, pain, neutral sensations. So this reflecting on the sense, sense realities as impermanent, you know, that, that's what we're noticing there, that they're changing rather than uh, perceiving them as 
once I make them into some kind of personal identity or personal problem, they are, they're more than what they are in the present, isn't it? There's like, I have a problem with this, and, and even when it's not present, I still assume I have a problem as a person. <coughs> but if I see in perspective, I see there's no self to have a problem anyway. The stillness is certainly intelligent. It's not a, I don't go into a kind of a dull trance or become a zombie. I'm really alert, fully present. The sense organs are still operating. Thought can still come and go. I can still feel emotions, you know, so, you know, of happiness, uh, unhappiness and elation, depression, doubt and worry and so forth. But they're in a perspective now. They're, they're seen in terms of Dhamma. They're, they are what they are, but we're no longer looking at them on a personal level as some kind of problem I have. But in their, as Dhamma, all conditions are impermanent. We're we're looking at, we're recognizing the changingness of these feelings, of these conditions. So in, in the stillness, in the still silence, and this gives this perspective on the conditioned realm. So we're not trying, the aim is not to live in a state of, of a kind of permanent emptiness as a goal by denying uh, or not noticing the world as we're experiencing it through this um, body-mind experience. But we're learning how to, to look at this body-mind experience from this perspective rather than from the self-assumption. Uh, changing from the self-view, and this is happening to me and my thoughts and so forth, to the Buddha realizing the Dhamma, the reality of the way it is. <laughs> so anyway, that's enough for this morning, and and uh, you know, just see this as an opportunity, as an encouragement, you know, encouragement for you to to trust yourself more, not to to believe all the doubts and and uh, views you have about your ability or inability or your barami or lack of it or whatever not to see through that whole that whole uh, uh, conditioned way you you regard yourself to learning to trust in in this uh, because this is this is uh, this is 
this is the gr- value of being a human being in this time, isn't it? This place. It's uh, this is what this is possible. This is what we can actually know in a direct way. This is you know, this is reality. This is not just you know fantasy life or a, an illusion that you're creating through becoming a Buddhist. So the, the Buddha, you know, was is a teaching for for us really for human beings. And so the awakening of this human individual isn't like me trying to become somebody who's awake, but trusting in just the simple attentiveness to this moment, this this kind of poised attention, but relaxed and at ease, open, receptive, and let let the Dhamma teach you that. Because it, it will, you know, you'll find it you learn the wisdom faculty develops through through this kind of uh, attitude 